0: Love music. Live sport. Let's hear it for the girls with Maureen McGonigal and special guests on Rock Sport Radio.
1: Good evening and welcome to Tuesday night at Rock Sport Radio. It's Let's Hear It For The Girls. Tonight as our guest in the studio, it is Hope Gordon. And she is an extraordinary young woman who is a canoeist so welcome Hope to Let's Hear It for the Girls. Thank you. Um, you're just back from Greece and I was thinking
2: oh, not Thomas Cook was it? <laughs> no, I, f- I flew out with Ryanair and back with so huh, And I'm had safe. a good time? Yeah, it's good.
1: Oh, it's great to get a holiday isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm sure that must be a luxury for you because I don't think you get very many of them. Yeah, so this is us um, just on our, on our time off now so it's good to go away for a few days. Ah, brilliant. Well, we're here to have a good
1: chat um, and later on you're going to hear all about your exploits. But first, as normal, we're going to have a wee look back at what's been happening in the world of women in sport this week. Um, you're going to join me for the roundup? Yes, thank you. Good, perfect. I'm going to start off with golf. As you know, we've just finished with the Solheim Cup and what a success it was. And there's still a lot of clubs that are keen to encourage women and girls and families into it. So if you happen to be in the Perth District and um, Murray's Hall Perth, they have a free uh, lesson. So, 8th and 11th of October, you want to get a couple of lessons in golf just to see how you like it. Their website's uk and forward slash golf ham um, slash tuition. So, have a wee try out at that. It's never a, a, never a round-up without football, Meg, I <laughs> uh, hope. So Friday night uh, live SWPL game on Alba was 4 for Farmington and Motherwell and it ended 4 for 0, Motherwell 1. However, it was a new club record with a crowd of over 423 watching the match. That particular result leaves 4 for sitting 7th in the table and Glasgow City are at the top with 25 points, 6 points clear of their nearest rival Celtic. I'm um, still in football. UEFA is once again running its grassroots football programme. And over the next seven days, they'll be celebrating the best of grassroots football across Europe with awards across five categories for some of the best programmes, teams, and individuals who are dedicating themselves to make football open to everybody. So, watch out for some inspiring stories. And finally for football this week, this is a little bit of a debate, I um, uh, hope. Um, at the FIFA Football Awards in Milan, Megan Rapinoe was the women's player. She won the Women's Player Award ahead of fellow American Alex Morgan and England's Lucy Bronze. So she claimed the golden ball for being the best player at the 2019 Women's World Cup, where she helped the United States to win the tournament. So Megan um, is extremely focal and has accused FIFA in the past, um, of not showing women's football enough respect, as the Women's World Cup final game was played on the same date as the Men's Copa America and Gold Cup finals. She's also in dispute with her own governing body because um, uh, she's called for the women's team to be paid the same as their male counterparts. I suppose I'm thinking, how important do you think it is that female role models are vocal and they shout up? You know, it puts them in a kind of difficult plays because you're always just up there to be shot down but how important it is to young girls for that to be happening
2: yeah i think it's really important for a female to kind of speak up and like voice their their opinion and hopefully hopefully that'll be hard and um hopefully soon we can be treated more as equals
1: yeah i mean i think roughly age are you your early 20s 24 yeah i mean have you experienced much of um sort of of gender bias biases of Inequality in terms of your own of career?
2: Um, I think in my sports I've, I've been really lucky, but I think that's mainly because it's not uh, team sports. So I think team sports seem to be much more male dominant than female Hopefully that's changing. Um but in my sports I've been I've been very lucky. I think every week we sit and say 2018,
1: 2019, just amazing to bring on women's sport. Yeah, Would you agree definitely. with that?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. I, mean, like the, I know it's not on par with the men's, but the, the Women's World Cup is certainly certainly growing and yeah. you know the crowds there were really good. And the coverage this
1: year and, and also we have to give credit the skill level has definitely increased so then it becomes a product marketable yeah definitely. yeah, I think Megan's doing a great job, a wonderful young woman, and just wish her all the luck in the world to yeah. achieve her goals. I'm um, going on to athletics and it's Athletics Scotland's AGM this weekend, and after eight years at the helm, Leslie Roy is standing down from the role as president. Leslie served in the volunteer role as president for two four year terms, and now she's not getting a rest. <laughs> she's been nominated nominated for the role of track and field commissioner convener, which will maintain her strong link with athletics in Scotland. And that got me to thinking, where would sport be without volunteers?
2: It wouldn't be anywhere, especially (laughs) at a grassroots level, like volunteers are everything. And where I'm from, you you don't really get paid coaching roles. It's all volunteers. And so most of my coaches up until... I was 16, probably. We're all all volunteers.
1: And to be honest, that's probably the most influential part of your life. You know, if they instil that real good vibe into you that you like sport, you know, when you're 16, you're still participating, particularly as a girl. They've done an amazing job and they do it all because... The love of sport.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that's the most important thing. They do it because they enjoy it. We do it because we enjoy it. And if you didn't enjoy it, it
1: just wouldn't be fun, with it? And I also suppose that in terms of um, someone like yourself getting success in the sport, that's actually their payment.
2: Yeah, I guess so. So, yeah, it must be nice for them to kind of sit back now and be like, yeah. I, you uh-huh. know, I Do you still keep
1: it. in touch with your olds. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, volleyball.
1: And again, it's uh, bronze for uh, Scottish Beach Volleyball last weekend at the CEV Beach Volleyball SEA finals. And this time it was on home soil. And the team tweeted, great to finish our season on the podium on home soil. Should really be on home sand, shouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, swimming, and it was great success for two Scottish competitors in the Down Syndrome GB team at the European Championships in Sardina last weekend. is McCrindle from Ayr, who worked so hard and gave it all, finished with a magnificent bronze medal in the 50 metre freestyle. And Laura, Laura Logan went home with the gold medal in the 50 metre butterfly in the Masters 1 category. And both of them come from down Ayrshire, so that's amazing. There must be Breeding really strong swimmers uh, down in Ayrshire. and good luck to the girls. Um, again, delighted that they've kept involved in sport. Again, being females in sport, it's, yeah, uh,
2: definitely. I know. Good. Um, I know has got a good, a good little disability swimming team. Team, and I think it's mainly south, south uh-huh. sure. So yeah. yeah, well done to them. Ah, uh, good. Um, and another,
1: another week. There's always a week, isn't there? <laughs> Never a week passes without having a name. So this week it's Women in Squash Week, and again, like golf. Many clubs have got special offers to encourage new players. So if you're in Dundee, and again, we're up the kind of Perth Dundee way, so they're working hard up there. (sighs) Why not try out Squash at Fort Hill Squash Club? It's club, club, club. Oh, that's easy for me to say. An easy word and I get it wrong. Um, These are available from the 23rd to 27th of September, 7 to 8.30pm. So you're going to have to Google this, Fort Hill Squash Club. Um, But again great opportunity to try a sport doesn't cost anything there's no pressure you can go along and enjoy it squash one of yours no
2: it's not something I've ever done, um, if I'm honest, but it looks it looks fast, like a really fast-paced game. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Right, we're on to judo, and it's Sarah Adlington, affectionately known as biggin 78 on Twitter, um, lifted the bronze medal at the Tashkent Grand Prix in Uzbekistan. It was a very, very tough-fought golden score bronze medal contest where she threw her Spanish opponent for Wazari. So well done to Sarah. Excellent to hear that. And also good news in cycling. Um, HUUB's Nia Evans won the Omnium at the UCI Grand Prix Poland this weekend. Uh, This topped off an already great weekend for her and Katie Archibald as uh, they won the Madison and a little bit of news about Stirling University, as they were named the Sporting University of the Year by the Times and the Sunday Times. And Cathy Gallagher, who's the Executive Director of Sport at the University and also been a previous guest on the programme, said this is a great achievement and testament to the hard work that's been invested over a number of years. I also noticed that Carla Eve Muirhead um, tweeted this activity accolade is testament to the commitment vision and energy of the university and as an honorary doctor i am proud of this significant achievement but i think our universities in scotland do a lot of great work um for sport you know you've been at university yourself um studying sport and exercise was it yes sport and exercise science and and what was the sort of you know the the this of after study like was there plenty of sports facilities there for you
2: yeah, so I was really lucky that um, all my lecturers they were really supportive in my sport, and they were they were really good with in terms of kind of deadlines and stuff. If I had competitions and stuff coming up, um, they rearranged a couple of exams for me because I was away and I couldn't make it. Um, so yeah, they were really really supportive. I actually worked at the gym at Engage, uh, which is within Edinburgh Napier as well. So. Um, yeah could you use the facilities there like the labs and everything so
1: it it's a perfect really environment really isn't it and, and you think of some of the names that are coming out you know Duncan Scott who's made a huge name yeah. swimming was, was was he still at Stirling Uni when he was
2: Making his name in the first instance, do you know? Yeah, so he's 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 been at Sterling Uni for a couple of years now. Uh-huh.
1: Um, and I know they've got a great programme, particularly for women uh, golfers, and they've had quite a few success there. And, of course, um, Scottish Women in Sport work closely with UWS, who are our priority sponsor for our awards in November. Okay, yeah. And they have... Um, last year, they had, we had Hannah Rankin there as one of our finalists, who was preparing to go out to America um to fight clarissa shields and <clears throat> she actually went to uws to their new facilities out in uh, hamilton um to use something like a an altitude chamber yeah um so they have all the up to date facilities and the great thing is they do extend them out to people out with the university as well and they help yeah know, definitely the community. people
2: in the area
1: Yeah, I just got to finish off with curling because uh, Team Jackson lost the semi-final of the KW Classic in Canada and that was the end of the road for them in Canada. The result was 6-7 to Team Boldston. And just before we finish up the roundabout, oh, the roundabout, goodness sake, yeah. i got lots on my way here today. I think my mind's elsewhere. Um, so just before we finish up our roundabout, I just wanted to speak about the Swiss Awards, which um, are going to be, they're open now for people to nominate their favourites. So we can't have these awards unless people actually put nominations in. Yeah. And people sometimes think, oh, I won't do that. Someone else will do it or I won't do that. This person won't win. Please let us be the judge, put it in. We've got categories, um, 10 different categories. We've got Sportswomen of the Year, which is UWS. We've got Sports Scotland Young Sportswomen of the Year. Carraway Team of the Year. Cubnet Community Club of the Year. Frame Innovation in Sport. This is a new one. Okay. Innovations are looking at campaigns, events, whatever. We've got Role Model of the Year. Specsavers Champion School of the Year and we've got the Inspiration Sport Coach of the Year Official of the Year there's something there for everybody definitely. there definitely is the The website is only open till the 7th of October which is no time at all because we're coming to the end of September yeah, So <laughs> two weeks left for you to get your nominations in so thank you for joining us on this one we're going to take a little break um, and before we settle down um, we'll come back and we'll hear more from Hope and we'll hear about how she battled and and she endured trying to convince medics that she wanted her leg amputated and as a young woman you must have had a right strength of character to take that and also how you crowdfunded to enable this to happen mm. so this is one you don't want to miss get the kettle on, get your biscuits by your side, get your feet up and <laughs> we're going to hear more from Hope in a minute or two
0: Thursdays at 8pm F1 rally formula e touring cars and motogp the motorsport season is well and truly underway and rock sport radio is already spinning wheels and burning rubber andy alston and adam Todd are on the starting grid every thursday from 8 p.m to bring you news and comments on pole position a petrol head's dream try a lap or two with the guys pole position on rock sport radio They've had your money long enough. Now's the time to act. If a bank like Lloyds or the Halifax persuaded you to move your savings and you lost out, don't miss this opportunity to get your money back. Text good to double six treble seven, and Goodwin Barrett could help you recover monies you thought had gone for good. Don't miss out. Text good to double six treble seven now. You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint, and if unsuccessful, you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman.
1: Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Hello!
0: Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. It's easy to put things off. I'll sort it tomorrow. It'll wait. Well, turns out if you're a man with prostate disease, the sooner you spot it, the better it can often be treated. So if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer... Or you're having trouble with your waterworks. Do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Love music. Live sport. Let's hear it for the girls with Maureen McGonigal and special guests on Rock Sport Radio.
1: So welcome back to Let's Hear It for the Girls and to our special guest tonight, Hope Gordon. Um, So Hope, that was quite a dramatic statement that I made and I'm sure people are sitting there really, really keen to hear the story behind it. But you know what, we're going to have to keep them waiting just a wee while longer (laughs) because I think we should start at the beginning. Because you were born in Rogart and Sutherland, a small village in the Highlands. And, you know, in my mind's eye, I'm just thinking, (laughs) how romantic, you know, the little cottages and the mist and all this. What was the reality? um
2: not far from that to be oh, honest yeah it's, it's an amazing place to grow up and uh grew up with horses and sheep and dogs and um yeah it was great i wouldn't want to have grown up anywhere else i spent most of my time outside um and not much time inside so it was good i was going to say in all kinds of weather of course oh yeah it didn't matter the weather you just put a jacket on and wellies and gone with it ah that sounds perfect and your name hope i mean i just I, I mean, i've just
1: got this whole romantic vision you know you're Born up in uh, rog- Rogart, was it? Yeah, Rogart. Um, and, and, and you called Hope. and I'm thinking, so there's a story behind the name, but
2: there is, but you're not really that much sure of the story. Tell us what you know. Um, I think my mum and dad were watching, I don't know what the TV programme was called, but they were watching a TV programme when my mum was pregnant, and there was, and somebody on the programme called Hope, and they both disliked the name, so... That's how it kind of and came And I from.
1: have been sitting racking my brain since you said it, trying to think, what programme had somebody called Hope in it? So if anybody knows, they could maybe just pop it in Twitter if they can tell us. Um, yeah, I have no idea. What programme they had Hope as the the hero. But it's a name that, um, does does it always spark debate? Do people always ask you the same question?
2: Um, I don't know. I get a lot of people that just tell me that they, they really like my name, uh-huh. uh, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, and you like it yeah I like it I
1: think it's a wonderful name so go on tell us about school and tell us about your favourite subjects and what you were like as a child and were you sporty I mean I just want to get this vision of what it was like <laughs> growing
2: up yeah so I was really, a really really sporty kid I, was, I wasn't I was particularly good at any specific sport I just sort of did a lot of a, a bit of everything um, so as I said I, I grew up uh, with horses so horse riding was always a massive part of my childhood um, I was played Play the bagpipes. I was in a pipe band, and just at any sport. I did a bit of football, badminton, basketball, hockey, um, just a bit of everything.
1: So tell me, you know, when when you're growing up in a small village, um are the facilities good? Are they there because you're so you know you're so so far away from the sort of main towns? You know, do you play all these things at school, or is it after school clubs, or how does that work?
2: Um, a bit of both. I. I did a lot of Highland dancing as well, so that was just in the in the village hall. Um, in terms of f- actual facilities, you use your jumpers as a goalpost and go go to the field and play football. It just <laughs> doesn't it show you you don't need
1: everything to actually you just need the wherewithal in your head to go yeah. out and enjoy it. And as yeah. you're saying, it's you're not at that age going out to. Focus on being the best you can be. You're going out to, to have a bit of fun.
2: Exactly, and that's that's why I was the only reason I did. It. I just enjoyed it. Uh-huh. How how big was the school? Um, so my primary school was maybe about twenty five people in the entire school. So in the school, not in seven. the class. No, no, no. So was, I think there was on average there's about three people in my year in primary school. Wow, that would be <laughs> fascinating. And then. Um, that was all I knew. And then when I went to secondary school, I went to Dornhill Academy, and this was a school of about 250 pupils. So I thought, oh, my word, this, this is a massive school. I've gone from a, a U group of three to a U group of about 30, I think. Um, so it was actually quite a big jump for me at, at the time. Obviously I tell people this now, and they just sort of look at me as if I've got five heads. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's
1: pretty remote. <laughs> I suppose the fact that you you know there's just three of you, strong friendship. Are you still in touch with them today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things you you don't really get to choose your friends when you're in a school like that. There's only two classrooms in the whole school, so I spent six out of my seven school years in the same the same classroom as my brother, who was a year older than me. Um, so that was interesting. I quite enjoyed the, my last year of primary school when he he went to the high school and I got to have a year without him.
1: <laughs> it's funny because you reminded me of Hannah Rankin, um, the the boxer, um, <laughs> because she um, was in Glen Lus and she had the exact same. I think she had about twenty seven in her school okay. and growing up. Um, it was she was the only girl in her class okay. and growing up it stayed the same going through the years. Yeah, um, yeah. I just think that sounds fascinating.
2: Did you? You didn't have a favourite sport. You said you must be something. You kind of liked. Probably horses that's just kind of what I always knew really but very much just a hobby um, I don't know I really just enjoyed, enjoyed just being active and sporty really. Mm-hmm. Yeah sounds great but um, a determined
1: young woman you <laughs> made your you left home and made your way down to Stirling to attend Forth Valley college at the age of 16 that must have been quite a wrench.
2: I think looking back on it now it's quite different to what it was at the time Um, So I actually spent the whole of that summer in Glasgow um, in hospital, at York Hill Children's Hospital. So when you're in a children's hospital, you're not allowed to leave the ward by yourself. So I spent, I think it was six or seven weeks um, in there where I'm not allowed to to leave the ward by myself. And then literally a week later, I was living by myself in Stirling. So I guess when you look at like that, it was quite a big jump. And um, I didn't know how to read a bus timetable. I could cook pasta and that was about it. So, yeah, I guess I, you just have to kind of learn <laughs> as you
1: go and just go up quite quickly. Well, you know, that's sometimes the best way. You yeah. know, Needs must. But I'm just thinking as well, you know, being so distant from the hospital, it must have been difficult in terms of your family coming down to see you.
2: Yeah, it it was. I mean, sort of two, 200 miles away Um. Obviously my mum and dad were working a, a lot and um one of them had to go home with my brother, so um yeah, I did spend quite a lot of time down in Glasgow and hospital with um, like by myself really, but I was really lucky that I made all the nurses and the, the staff of the hospital were really good to me and they were kind of like my family as well and they yeah they were they were great and kind of looked. Oh,
1: that's a lovely thing to see, isn't it? That yeah. they become like your family. I think yeah. that's really really nice. So the reason you went to Fourth Valley College was a means to an end because you wanted <clears throat> to get to university, but you completed your HND um, there, which opened the door, and you ended up at Napier. Yeah, in the third year.
2: Yeah, so I, I missed quite a lot of school um, kind of growing up just because I was in hospital a lot and then when I was 16 I kind of got the, the opportunity to, to move to Stirling and to swim there and then also go to, co- to go to college and I'd kind of left school with, well, not much qualifications um, so I just sort of kind of did, you know, the whole stepping stone thing at college and worked my way up college, um, left with an HND and then went straight into third year and it... Uh, Edinburgh Napier, so I moved through to Edinburgh in 2016 and went to uni there. So, obviously,
1: very focused, very determined,
2: very single minded. (laughs) Uh huh. Um, Because
1: you started uni directly into the third year, but just four weeks after having your leg amputated.
2: Yeah, so that was interesting. (laughs) Um,
1: That has to be the understatement of the year. That was interesting. Yeah,
2: so. It must have been daunting, was it not? Well, I think. I don't know, I was supposed to have the operation a lot earlier in the year than, than what happened and I sort of, I didn't know anybody at the uni because I was going to be a brand new new student there and eventually I sort of, I found an email address online um, to, to one of the lecturers and I sent him an email and I sort of said I'm due to start in September but I'm actually having quite a major operation Um in August, and just to let you know, hopefully I'll be there in the start of time, but if I'm not, then then that's why. And I guess, kind of going into operation, it was very much an unknown. I had no idea how quickly I'd recover, or whether I'd be using a wheelchair to get around, or like how it would go, really. So it was quite an unknown, but everything went well, and I rocked up to the first day of time. (laughs) And it's quite nice, though, because... P- the all my classmates and the staff they didn't realise it was four weeks ago because they didn't they didn't know me at all and it wasn't actually until I graduated that they were like wait you started you need know, just afterwards. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People
1: must do a double take every time they, they hear your story. <laughs> they definitely must. Let, let's get into this uh, crux of the story because until, until the age of 12, everything with you was as it should be. And then you were diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome and you believe it was a kickabout at school that set it off. Is that, is that something that they could definitely pinpoint as being the cause?
2: We're still not sure, to be honest. So, yeah, I was I was absolutely I was really healthy. The only thing was, kind of from when I was four years old, um, I I I got a lot of pains in my left knee. So if I sat with my leg bent, my leg would lock bent, and if I sat with it straight, my leg would lock straight. And it was always put down to growing pains, and that sort of kind of came and went for a few years. And It was like sore and stuff, but it didn't really hold me back too much. And um, I've never really been able to to run a lot, but I still did lots of sports. So it was just kind of one of those things that if my knee got sore, I'd just sit at the side and it would, you know, the pain would wear off and then I'd join back in again. And then this day in um, 2008, that was, I was just playing football at school and my knee just got a bit sore but that was kind of like a normal pain I sat at the side just waiting for the pain to to ease off wanting to join back in again and the the pain just didn't ease off at all and it just kind of got progressively worse um, throughout the day but nothing really, nothing happened as such and um, one of my friend's mum she she took me my friend to swimming after school and in the pool that night I, I couldn't kick my leg at all and it was just a bit weird and then I my mum was picking me up after after swimming, and she watched me kind of hobbling out to the car, and she was like, "What oh, on earth have you done?" I was like, "Oh, nothing. Like, I could just got sore leg." Um, and that's kind of how how it started, really. But nothing actually happened. I suppose as well being so active, people
1: just assume that it's been a knock and it's something, yeah. and they don't go away. And, and yeah, it's really difficult. The, the actual the syndrome itself is is, is quite difficult. Didn't I read somewhere it feels like. People are sticking pins and needles in you, like electricity going through.
2: Yeah, it's a very, like, it's kind of like a burning, kind of stabbing pain. Like, I always felt like my leg was on fire and, yeah, it was, it was pretty horrible. But it took, it actually took about a year to, to get that diagnosis as well, so... I spent about a year kind of not knowing what was going on but still had this leg that was just progressively going. Oh, was that through a sequence of doctors? Did you have to keep
1: on moving on and moving on until you get someone who could have understood what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, so I, I saw quite a few different GPs um, to start with and then eventually I saw, saw a doctor who I went into Rigmore, the hospital till in Inverness, and then it was when I was in there they... Um, they sort of kind of scratched their heads and were like, okay, okay, maybe this is a bit more um, difficult than what they first thought it was. So then that was when I got um, transferred down to Glasgow to, to York Hill and it wasn't until I went down there for the first appointment that I saw the, the specialist and that was when I was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome.
1: I suppose it's something that they don't see every day, which makes it much more difficult. Uh, they would rule out everything else until they come to that sort of conclusion.
2: Yeah, and I still remember getting it the, the day I got the diagnosis and it was it's weird because I was actually really happy because I spent like a year with doctors being like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Like I had some negative experience as well where because you can't see pain, it's pain's invisible. So people would say, oh, like it's just in your head and all that sort of stuff, which obviously isn't pleasant. And then when I got this diagnosis, I was like, oh, like somebody actually knows what's, what's wrong with me. And I was really happy. And he said to me and my mum, he was like, just don't Google it. But then of course we went we went home and I sort of went from like really high so okay, like I know what's I know what's wrong and then I googled it and I was like, Oh, wow. Mm. So you kind of you know what's wrong with you but it's not really a condition that, that you
1: you really want to have. So as a young girl at the age of twelve, thirteen, this is this is huge. I mean, did it have a, an impact on your mental health? I mean, did you how did you cope day to day?
2: I think it did definitely have an impact, and kind of looking back now, that's definitely where sport came in for me, and it was sort of my my way of coping. And um, I guess in a, it didn't feel like this at the time, but looking back now, I I went from being a kid, being able to do whatever I wanted, to not being able to walk, and but I could still swim, and I just I kept on swimming because I could, not for any other reasons, and. Um, yeah, I'm glad I, I kept swimming because that was sort of my way of coping.
1: Yeah, I think it would be. I mean, once
2: they diagnosed her, what did they do
1: to help her?
2: So it's one of these conditions where there's, there's not a cure. There are treatments that could potentially help but it affects the condition affects everybody differently so if you'd have the same condition as me it might affect you completely differently to how, how it affects me and you would respond to different treatments differently as well so i spent a lot of time kind of in glasgow and in, in hospital getting different treatments and unfortunately nothing really nothing really helped and um there's some things that would might help the pain on a very short term basis um yeah. You were looking for a long term solution. And I think it, it took you a couple of years
1: to sort of sit and figure this out. And so at the age of 14, you began to think about having your leg amputated. That's a huge, huge thought for someone your age. I mean, you should be running about having fun, you know, going out, meeting your friends. But you're having to think, what can I do to make me feel better for the rest of my days and you came to this kind of solution so where where did the thought come from is this more sort of googling
2: no definitely not I think it was by this point I'd, I'd had a couple of years of, of treatment and unfortunately the treatments weren't going well and then it just sort of felt like I would I would go into hospital I'd spend however like a few weeks however whatever in hospital and kind of come out worse than what I went in instead of better and that was when I, I started thinking, I was like, I think I would actually be better off, like, without my leg. And I didn't tell anybody for two years purely because I didn't want people to think it was, like, my way of giving up. I didn't want anybody to think of it as a negative thing because for me it was always going to be a positive thing. And as well, I knew that amputation was against the guidelines of a condition. And obviously I'm a 14-year-old kid in a children's hospital, so... It's not something that you can really just just say. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here
1: looking at you, trying to think of you as being a 14-year-old and coming to this sort of conclusion in your head. Where were your parents at this time? Were, were they supportive in terms of what your thought process was? Because, again, you're only 14 and they want to um, support you and, and care for you. It must have been really difficult for them.
2: Yeah, I think it was, and I didn't... I didn't tell them for a while, um, yeah, because obviously it's not a nice thought for them. I think my mum maybe was uh, like she maybe thought I was thinking along that lines, but I don't think my dad was. But I can still picture the the day that I told them that I, we were we came down to Glasgow for. Um, an appointment, an outpatient's appointment, and we actually went to Silverburn for for lunch. And we were in Frank and Benny's in Silverburn, and I said to them, I said, "I'm going to ask the doctors to consider amputation today." And they just both kind of looked at me, and um, yeah, obviously it's not, it wasn't nice for them, but especially kind of as time went on, they they really they really knew it was the right thing thing f- for me to have, and obviously, they they know me best. They know how much it affected me on a day to day basis, whereas the doctors, they see you in a hospital, they don't see you in the in the real world. They didn't see how difficult it was to go out in public and you know just be around people with a leg that's you yeah. know you can't touch. and let's be honest if
1: if they weren't there supporting you, it probably wouldn't have happened because it's not just practically, financially, whatever. Emotionally, you would need that kind of buy-in from them, so that it would take a bit of the burden off you having made the decision that that they were there and you're all together on it.
2: Yeah, definitely, especially in the latter stages. You know, they were, you know, I couldn't have asked for any more. They were really, really, really supportive. And a bit of a bit of a battle at that point with
1: the medical profession. So again, you would need your mum and dad behind you to do that battle. You you know,
2: what what was their thought process? the, The medical profession. Um, so, not massively positive. I knew it was going to be a battle um, because I knew the amputation was against the guidelines, but I was really hoping that the doctors would sort of look at me as an individual rather than just as a textbook and just, like, hospital notes, you know, and, on paper, especially because the nature of the condition is so different in different people. The fact that I was young, I was active, um, you know, that's that's massive. So it was. It was quite a battle. I just kept on getting referred to different different people, and eventually, um, I ended up finding my own surgeon, um, and I went down to have a private um, appointment <coughs> with him. And that was that was when he said, yeah, like you need your leg like, amputated." Was this the surgeon down in Blackpool? Was it? Yeah. Uh huh. Good
1: give you've done some <laughs> sort of travelling. But uh, you know, again, I, I think the statement you made there in terms of. Um, the doctors treating the individual and, yeah. and not the condition is absolutely relevant um, yeah. because everyone is different, no matter if you've got the same thing as yeah. you were saying before. So how did you find your surgeon in Blackpool? I mean, I'm just fascinated by this whole process as a 16-year-old doing
2: it. Uh, yeah, so um, it was actually just, just through research online. I um, I didn't sleep with the the condition I was just in so much pain I would kind of get a couple hours sleep a night and that would that would be me doing doing well um, so a lot of my nights were kind of spent trying to trying to work out what was going to happen and then I I, I found this this guy and I sent him an email and that's when I I got um I got the first appointment so it was this first sort of ray of hope in the
1: whole situation but again it wasn't just as easy as oh I found the doctor he agrees and let's get it happening because you couldn't get someone to support you to have this done in NHS.
2: Yeah, so, so he saw me and he, he fully had my back and everything, but he said to me that, you know, after everything that I'd been through, he wanted it funded through the NHS. He said he would do it, but he wanted it, it funded. So that's when we went back to the NHS and, um, you know, I was quite hopeful that because I'd had somebody to do it, you know, all they need to do is sort of, you know, write the cheque kind of thing. Um, But unfortunately they... Kind of said said no, so that's when I, I sort of kind of had to turn to to crowdfunding. Another sleepless night and another yeah. another thought. Oh, this is what I'm going to do, yeah. and and again, crowdfunding. You are what? 16 years of age. Are you younger than 16 at this point? Uh, no, so I was. I must have been about 20. Uh huh. Yeah. So
1: this is the this is the time that it's taken to get yeah. this to actually be agreed. Yeah. That, that's good. So how did the crowdfunding go? Was it a quick win? Did you get plenty of publicity?
2: Yeah, it was amazing. It kind of was far more than I ever thought. Well, wow. thought it was going to be. I, I made a page, and I, I remember um, sending it to my my flatmate at the time, and I was absolutely petrified because. Like a lot of like my close family and close friends, they knew that I wanted my leg amputated, but sort of a lot of people didn't, and even people I saw on a daily basis. You know, it's not something that you really tell people. And then I, I, but I knew if I didn't raise the money, then it was going to be really difficult to do to get to get the money like ourselves. Um, So I made a crowdfunding page and, and I just shared it like on my social media and the. Yeah, the rate, the, rate, the response was just like amazing. It was far more than I ever than I ever thought.
1: People are so kind, and I yeah. think they can understand that with a, a young person like yourself, with the backing of our family and our doctors, it is a kind of injustice that that's not going to happen. So that the rest of your life that you can go ahead and, and live it without pain. So it's great to think that they came out and supported you. How much did you raise? Is that something you can tell us?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so I raised ten thousand pounds, which was exactly was exactly what I needed for the, wow. for the op so it was, yeah, it was incredible, and yeah, I definitely have a lot of people to thank and uh-huh. yeah, I don't think you
1: could go and thank them all. just one generous <laughs> big thank you, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so where did the operation take place? So
2: it was in Blackpool,
1: uh-huh, and again, there's a cost for the family to travel I mean that's
2: some distance, to yeah it yeah, it was, it was it was kind of a long time coming because I, I thought it was going to be the start of 2016 so sort of January time and it actually got cancelled or postponed seven times between January and when it eventually happened the 2nd of August so. In fact there's a stat that says there was 1,917
1: days passed between first asking for an amputation and for it actually happening
2: Yeah. and we sort of figured it out, that's about
1: five and a half years.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a long time coming and yeah. Did you ever think about giving up? Yeah, definitely. I think, like, there was a lot of kind of tough times, but um, that's kind of where, where support came in. And mm. um, This is what your resilience. Yeah, and I think, you know, I do have something to, to you know, kind of <laughs> a lot to thank, someone for, but um, it was tough, you know, and I think... I didn't really realise how tough it was until now. So kind of looking back on it, I'm actually not quite sure how I managed to... You sometimes look back and you think, that's another person. Yeah. You know, that this person did that then, and
1: I'm me now. It's yeah, it, is, it definitely it? feels
2: like a different lifetime ago, but equally I can still, like in my head, I can still feel the pain I was in, which I'm quite glad I can do actually, because it kind of... You know, when I get frustrated with things now, I can sort of, like, look back and it's like, okay, actually, life's
1: life's not so bad now. Yeah. What were your initial thoughts when you woke up after the operation?
2: Um, So it might sound a bit silly, but because my leg was super sensitive, I couldn't touch it for, well, nearly 10 years, really. Um, And... When I, I couldn't even lie in a bed properly because my like my foot couldn't touch anything and I had like loads of pillows under my knee, my knee and everything I couldn't put a blanket over my leg or anything it was just too sore and I remember waking up and I had like a blanket over my whole body and even that like that hadn't happened for, for nearly ten years so just the fact that I could have a blanket over my leg. Um, that was like special in itself, and I remember my the nurse put my notes down on my bed, and I just started laughing because where she put the notes was like where my leg used to be, and I just sort of started laughing. I was like, oh, "My leg used to be there." You <laughs> <laughs> had a character. <laughs> so, just four weeks after that, you get yourself to college or university, yeah. I think so I moved. I was in hospital for only a few days actually, and then I think a couple of weeks later, I moved from Stirling to Edinburgh. And then started uni. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your course there. Yeah, it was good. It was um, sport and exercise science. It was. I quite liked the fact that nobody knew that I just had my leg amputated. It meant that. People just treated me as an hour student rather than, oh, like she just had to like amputated. I didn't, didn't want any of that. I just wanted to be treated the same as everyone else. And that's what happened. Um, it was quite tough um, going straight into third year. It- There's a tone of understatement in everything you say.
1: Do you know that. It was quite tough.
2: Yeah, yeah, I did this so and I managed
1: that. Amazing. But you're you're doing, um, you graduated, was that this year?
2: Uh, Last year, last year, year.
1: year, Uh yeah, yeah. And then you moved to Nottingham. Your mother and father must (laughs) say, "What a girl!" You know, there she is, Nottingham. So, what's the distance now, Nottingham to home? Uh, So, door to door, it's five hundred
2: miles, which I think is quite appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you're down
1: in Nottingham because.
2: Yeah, so I was really lucky that I I got selected to to train full time with the GB para canoe team. So it's a centralised program which is based in in Nottingham. Um, so it's kind of the timing and everything worked out really well because I graduated uni and I was like, oh, I need to get a job here. And then, <laughs> and then I got offered to be a full-time athlete, so I kind of couldn't ask for a better job. So where did canoeing start? Because, you know, you, you did a lot of swimming, you did other sports, but you
1: did did a lot of swimming. You swam to quite a, a high level. Yeah. Where did canoeing start for you?
2: Um, so it started last year. I I There's a girl that used, I knew through swimming called Charlotte Henshaw, who she went to three Paralympics for swimming. And after Rio, she switched over to um, canoeing and she shared an advert that British Canoeing were looking for new talent athletes. I didn't realise at the time, but it was actually kind of specifically for the classification that I fit into. And I just sort of saw the advert and I thought, oh, that looks quite fun, like I could give that a bash. Um, so I went down for an assessment and that went well and I first kind of got on a boat um, on the canal in Edinburgh. I was quite lucky I was I was living in um just fifteen minutes from where Scottish Canoon's based at Ratho. So the guys at Scottish Canoon they were they were really good with me. They kind of got me started and then I quite quickly got asked to move move down to Nottingham and um yeah, it was I couldn't really turn it down really <laughs> Well I mean my
1: question was going to be the same as the last question. Was that a difficult decision?
2: Um, not really to be honest, it didn't really take too much to to think about because the the environment there is is not nothing that I've ever been in before, but it is a very special environment. You've got athletes um that are kind of you know the absolute top of top of the the sport and have been for a long time so to be in an environment with them is been amazing, and the fact that I'm so new to the sport, but training with such experienced athletes I think has really like sped up my progression. Um, and the staff there are, are really good as well um, the coaches and all the support the sport team so it's a really cool place to be so this is funded
1: by UK sport and which is you know funded from lottery money
2: yeah so i'm really really lucky that, that i managed to to get a spot out on the funded program um which has just been amazing um, It kind of take you can focus all your your energy into to perform and you don't have to worry about working as well and yeah. Um, I do work sometimes, I work a bit as a part-time swimming teacher as well, but that's mainly because I enjoy it. But we're very lucky with all the support we get through British Canoeing, UK Sport and the lottery funding. Take me through a typical day, what do you do as a full-time canoeist? <laughs> so I get up and have porridge for my breakfast every morning. <laughs> that's a Scottish in you, that's
1: brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and I always
2: make sure I buy Scottish oats, never never uh-huh. oats. So is it salt or sugar? Um, I go salt. Oh, so me too. <laughs> Who puts sugar in <laughs> porridge? Come on. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I'd head head to the centre. And uh, over the winter, we were in the gym a lot um, with a bit less on the water, and then it flips around in the summer. So we normally have two or three sessions a day, and that's between um, in the gym, kind of shifting weights, and then on the water as well, and doing a lot of kind of. Um, like mobility stuff and like an injury prevention work as well. So, yeah, we normally do about three three sessions a day.
1: Well, I mean, you're making quite a name if you, for yourself because uh, in your first was it World Champs, um, you surprised even yourself because you breezed into the final, um, <laughs> and you registered a personal best of forty nine thirty three. Um, yeah, is that right?
2: Yeah, so I went out to. Well, I actually went to Europeans and the World Cup, which were in Poland, which were in May. Um, so that was my first international competition. Um, and I managed to get fourth at both the Europeans and the World Cup, which... I was happy with it, it was especially the Europeans. The weather conditions were challenging to we'll say see the it. least, <laughs> um, so I was quite happy to make it across the line in the boat rather than than swimming. To be honest, it was pretty choppy, and then um, after that, I managed to get selected for World Championships, which is really chuffed about. And, yeah, I ended up getting fifth there.
1: Wow, that was brilliant. Um, so you're a great supporter of Finding Your Feet, the, the charity set up by Corinne Hutton. Yeah. Um, and I believe you're an ambassador for them. Yes. Yeah. And um, for that, I take it you, you just really raise a profile and, and perhaps uh, give people inspiration that are in the same position as yourself.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I first got involved with Finding Your Feet um, literally a matter of weeks after I had my leg amputated and they were really, really good with me and it's it was good to, obviously being a new amputee, it's good to kind of connect with other people who are also amputees. Um, and I just, I love everything that the charity is about and I, it actually kind of made me realise a lot of things. So a lot of um, amputees that I knew already were kind of through sport, whereas I didn't actually, and they kind of like, got on they were really positive and you know they had their focus of their sport whereas with finding your feet i really got to know people who you know the other end where how much a major accident or major surgery really affects you and um you know to the point where some people you know they they don't like to leave their house and i think that's where finding your feet really you know really help and Actually, for for some people, going out and meeting up with people to have a, a cup of coffee is, is a big achievement, and I think finding your feet really they cater for all sorts of people, whether you want to go and... Um, have a coffee or do some gardening or whether you want to abseil down a crane or go rock climbing (laughs) so that's
1: exactly kind of what you're saying with the doctor so everyone's treated as an individual and their personal best could be just going for a cup of coffee but it's celebrated because they've actually achieved that
2: exactly
1: and who could be more inspirational than Corinne herself
2: oh absolutely (laughs) she's mad as a har but she's amazing oh that's amazing so um, good luck for that so tell me um, what's your ambition? Um, so we've got selection for the Tokyo Paralympics um, next year. So kind of training for that, and it's going to be tough. There's only only one spot, so everyone's kind of fighting for for that one spot. So you know, it's it it's not going to be easy. And um, right now, I'm kind of second. But the you know the girl that's above me, she got silver. Just missed out on gold at a World Championships. So it's not going to be an easy task. but <coughs> I'll um. Yeah, definitely give it my all, and but as well, I'm also I'm still quite quite new into the sport, so still lots to work on. Well, this is it. I
1: mean, this is your first um, Olympics coming up, but you know, at yeah. the tender age, and, <laughs> and particularly I think with the sport, that's something you could do quite long into life, isn't it, age-wise?
2: Yeah, definitely. So they kind of when they took me on the program, it was sort of as a kind of Paris twenty twenty four kind of target. But equally, I, you know, I'm going to give it my all and try and get to Tokyo. <coughs> so apart from, excuse me, apart from
1: Tokyo, what's the ambition? What's what's the thoughts for the future?
2: Um, I don't know. Like I I want to take my sport as as high as I can. But, um, kind of outside of sport, I guess, you know, I'm I'm quite passionate about raising the profile of disability sport. Um. I would love doing all the stuff that I do with finding your feet. And, yeah, I'm not really too sure, but we'll see what happens. A, a little thought here for you. What about a book? There must be a book there. That would be so
1: interesting. I would love to read it, so.
2: like you. Maybe that'll we'll next step. <laughs> you
1: know, in your spare time. Maybe. <laughs> your spare time. Um, listen, um, before we say good. Good night, to, uh, Hope. Just let me take a wee minute to remind you all that if you'd like to be my Tuesday night guest on Let's Hear It For The Girls, or you have got some news, results or upcoming events, please let me know about them. You know, this is your platform to get all the stuff out about women and girls in sport. And you'll find them, in, you can contact me in any of the social media channels. So it's uh, Twitter, DAB or through Facebook, Rocksport Radio. And just mention Let's Hear It For The Girls. That'll get sent on to me and we'll get in touch. So can I say a huge thank you I've enjoyed having you here Uh, good luck for the future and you've got a wee song to
2: play us out what is that (laughs) thank you very much Um, so this is for my mum who's a massive Meatloaf fan so we're going to go with all revved up and no place to go thank you thank you